Radio Krikon. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Get Your Creek On, a podcast about Jonathan Creek. Thanks for joining me today for the final episode of series 3, The Three Gamblers, in which a man gets shot several times in the head and is clearly dead because of this, but then it turns out that he subsequently manages to crawl up some stairs. It sounds crazy, and it is. Hopefully you've watched the episode before downloading and listening to this episode of the pod. It'll really help. I mean, really, it'll help. If you haven't bothered, then you won't know what the hell's going on. If you haven't watched any Jonathan Creek before, then just grab a pen or a pencil and a bit of paper or just anything to write on. Okay, got those. Now note this down and take heed of it very closely. No Creek, you freak. Baby. The Three Gamblers aired on January the 2nd, 2000, the first episode of the 2000s. Australian gentlemen, get us going, please. Episode Synopsis On a filthy wet night at a place in the middle of nowhere called Frog Hollow, Three people called Floyd, Joe and Karen approach a ramshackle old cottage to meet someone called Geiger. Inside the dank building, the ugly old Geiger greets them in a hostile manner, placing a gun on the table to let them know that he means business. They discuss what sounds like a big drug deal involving the group of three bringing stuff back to Britain from overseas. They talk about the middleman involved, and Joe naively suggests that Geiger could give them the big boss's contact details so they can deal with him directly. A bit later and Geiger has passed out after drinking an entire bottle of whiskey. As he wakes up and creepily assaults Karen, Joe tries to scribble down the contact details of the head honcho in his notebook. Geiger takes umbrage at this and rips the page out of Joe's notebook and sticks it in his pocket. A confrontation ensues which leads to Floyd smashing Geiger umpteen times over the head with a fire poker, before commandeering the gun and firing several bullets into his brain. Joe checks for a pulse and confirms that Geiger is a goner. They drag his body down to the dingy basement and lock the door at the top before shifting a massive bookcase in front of it. The key then gets lobbed into the nearby river and Floyd, Karen and Joe speed away into the night. At the theatre, it's Jonathan's birthday. Well, it's his birthday regardless of location, not just at the theatre, but the scenes in the theatre, which is why I said that. Maddie's pulled a great surprise out of the bag by tracking down a very rare book on card tricks as a gift for him. Adam generously presents Jonathan with an Adam Klaus bath set, complete with foaming crystals, soaps and a flannel. Adam offers to take him and Maddie out for a night on the town, anywhere Jonathan wants, and they end up at a magic club called the Trick Joint. As they watch the fairly mediocre acts, Adam ends up assisting a magician called Lizzie Gillespie with a trick involving a banana. No, not that type of trick. Maddie also gets called up on stage to assist with an act involving chopped off fingers and lots of blood, and ends up fainting. Adam notes that it may have been some kind of cardiovascular event, due to Maddie not exactly being underweight. Adam and Maddie decide to split, but Jonathan hangs around to see another couple of acts. Before the show restarts though, 
he's accosted by Karen, who desperately needs to talk to him. She takes him outside to chat in her car, which Maddie spots happening and is irritated by. Karen tells him the full story of what happened with her, Joe and Floyd. She'd met Floyd, a former professional boxer, when she worked in a pub, and they got together. Floyd hung around with Joe and Geiger, the latter of whom you can just tell is pure evil. Geiger got whiff of a big drugs deal and needed accomplices to head to Haiti to facilitate it, so roped in Joe and Floyd. Karen mentions how they ended up killing Geiger at Frog's Hollow later on. They decided to go ahead with the drug deal because they now had Geiger's book with all the contacts in it. However, when they were abroad, the police got a tip-off and ended up shooting Joe dead. Floyd and Karen escaped and managed to eventually get home, but only after a couple of months laying low, during which Floyd's head got filled with voodoo mumbo-jumbo from some locals who convinced him that Joe's death was somehow Geiger's revenge from beyond the grave. Back home, Floyd decided to just tell the police everything that's happened, but when the police then took them back to Frog Hollow, things got very weird. They forced open the door to the basement to find Geiger's body at the top of the stairs, his hand reaching out and under the door. How the hell did he manage to get there, considering how very dead they'd left him? Jonathan is keen not to get involved, but Karen begs him and, as is often the case, he appears unable to say no. He then heads back to Maddie's, who refuses to let him in because she's convinced he'd been trying to cop off with Karen. The next day, at the theatre, Adam receives some good news. He's been shortlisted for the Best Male TV Illusionist at the British Magic Awards. As Jonathan practices card throwing tricks, Adam mentions that Jonathan Ross wants him to go on his show. This could be a helpful thing in terms of exposure to the judges at the Magic Awards, and we then immediately see Adam reeling off his long list of charity work to one of the show's researchers. A bit later, Maddie turns up to discuss the Karen and Floyd case with Jonathan. At the police station, Floyd talks to police about how shit-scared he is of Geiger's zombie spirit and how he appears in his dreams every night. Maddie, Jonathan and Karen discuss everything with Detective Inspector Gallo, who notes that things are a bit hard to investigate because Geiger's notebook with all the info in it has gone missing. He then notes, however, that it was remembered that on the night at Frog Hollow, Geiger had ripped a copy of the details from Joe's notebook and stuck them in his pocket. But when this was retrieved from the dead Geiger's pocket later on, the details had vanished and all that was left behind was a blank sheet of paper. Gallo asks Karen to hand him a soccer report from the shelf behind her, and within it are all the case files, from which he takes out the blank bit of paper to show Jonathan and Maddie. That evening, Adam watches the recording of himself on the Jonathan Ross show, on which he performed the banana trick from the trick joint the other night. It turns out though that Lizzie Gillespie had been in the audience, and embarrasses him by calling out his plagiarism on air. Jonathan and Maddie head to Frog Hollow, where the car gets stuck in the mud, and Jonathan manages to lose his phone while trying to push it out. They head to the creepy old cottage, with Jonathan remarking that he thought there would still be some kind of police presence there. As often happens, Maddie then begins hypothesising about possible solutions to the mystery in an almost stream-of-conscious manner. Heading down to the basement from whence Geiger's corpse had climbed the stairs, Jonathan finds an old cricket sticker book, and Maddie talks about how there's something strange about Karen, 
and she cannot put her finger on just what it is. Jonathan appears to have figured out the solution to the whole thing and is about to explain it when they hear a noise from upstairs. Elsewhere, Adam calls round some magician friends to try and figure out whether or not he's won the award. Eventually, he speaks to Deborah Cadabra, a transvestite performer who has been told that they have in fact won the award, which leaves a sour taste in Adam's mouth as he congratulates her. Him. Her. At Frog Hollow, a police officer's turned up, introducing himself as Officer Derek Spratley. Jonathan needs to make a call, so walks back up to the car to get the phone, leaving Maddie alone with the officer. D.I. Gallo and his officers pass by Jonathan, and he comes to a horrifying realisation. Back at the cottage, Maddie comes to the same realisation via the method of finding a dead police officer in a cupboard, and realising that Derek Spratley isn't a real policeman at all, and in fact works for the drugs gang. Jonathan and the armed police turn up and Spratley brings Maddie out as a hostage with a gun to her mouth. He demands that they let him take the police jeep to drive himself off. Maddie faints and Spratley demands that Jonathan walks forward to become his hostage instead. As our favourite magician's consultant does so, he raises his hands with a card concealed in one of them, which he then throws to distract Spratley, and this allows one of the armed officers to shoot the bugger dead. Later, at the theatre, Adam's arranging to meet some musician friends to play some blues music, rather than go to the Magic Awards. Jonathan takes Maddie aside and tells her that Adam's actually going to be receiving a special Lifetime Achievement Awards at the event, although it's hush-hush and he doesn't know it yet. Adam then asks Maddie to pass him a bottleneck from the Cervante, but has to clarify that a bottleneck is a finger slide for the guitar, and a Cervante is a hidden shelf behind a table. This causes something to twig in Maddie's mind. At the police station, Maddie and Jonathan turn up to explain everything to D.I. Gallo, Floyd and Karen. It turns out the night Floyd shot Geiger, the rain came down to such an extent that the river in the valley burst its banks and flooded the basement, causing Geiger's body to float up the steps before the whole place then slowly drained again over the coming weeks. This also wiped the ink off the bit of paper in his pocket. Gallo, Jonathan and Maddie then leave Floyd and Karen to talk, but once outside, Maddie asks Gallo what Floyd's going to do when he finds out that Karen is a police officer. Maddie explains how she's worked out that Karen was undercover, and the plan was for the police to be in the know about the big drug exchange at Frog Hollow. Maddie had subconsciously noted that earlier on, Karen had known exactly what file to reach for when Gallo had asked her to pass him the Socko report. How could she have known what a Socko report was, and therefore which file to grab, unless she was actually a police person? Maddie realised this when Adam asked for the bottleneck from the Cervante, terms only a magician or a musician would know. At the Magic Awards later on, Jonathan's worried because Adam hasn't turned up yet. Maddie, it turns out, hasn't breathed a word to Adam about the Lifetime Achievement Award, and Jonathan's aghast because the whole point of him telling her about it was that she can't keep a secret and he'd assumed she'd blab to Adam, but she hasn't. Adam has in fact gone to play the blues somewhere and is missing the awards altogether, just like Woody Allen does instead of going to the Oscars. The episode ends with Adam playing in a shithole of a pub with punters fighting in front of him, one of whom then spews on his shoes. Isn't it just a bloody nightmare when that happens?
episode analysis. The final ever episode of Jonathan Creek to feature Caroline Quentin as Maddie, and she went out on a bit of a high, solving some of the mystery herself and figuring out the fact that Karen was a police officer. She was heavily pregnant during the filming of this episode, and there were some shots shot or reshot after she'd had her baby. Taking a break from acting was on the cards after becoming a mother, but it's never really been made clear whether a discussion took place about her returning to Jonathan Creek, which is a real shame because loads of people would have absolutely loved to see it happen. You do have to wonder whether, if everyone had known she wouldn't be back at this point in time, her final scenes might have been a little bit different, perhaps with an emotional goodbye or some kind of explanation around her, maybe moving away or something like that. The storyline with Geiger and the drugs deal at Frog Hollow certainly made for several very eerie scenes, and Geiger himself was definitely a pretty repulsive individual. It was interesting to see Floyd being taken over by the ideas of witchcraft and voodoo and whatnot, and I don't know about you, but I certainly got the impression he maybe wasn't just in the business of trafficking drugs, but possibly also partaking in the taking of some as well. Maddie being taken hostage at Frog Hollow was very dramatic, and it was clever how it all tied in with Jonathan's card throwing. It was a classic David Rennick approach, really, to end an intense scene like that on a comedic moment, where Maddie points out that she could have died were it not for Jonathan, only for him to comment that actually he'd been trying to hit Derek Spratley's balls. Alan Davies spent some time working with American magician John Lenehan on card throwing technique, and in the scenes at the theatre where he's throwing cards around the place, he certainly looked to be pretty good at it. Harry Peacock played Floyd, Nina Sassania played Karen, John Bennett played Frank Geiger, Clifford Barry portrayed Joe Wheeler, and Hattie Hayridge was Lizzie Gillespie. John Bird played D.I. Gallo, and he appears in a couple of future Jonathan Creek episodes as a completely different character, which is something we've seen and I think touched upon with previous actors such as Nigel Planer, Lorelai King, and Rob Jarvis. David Rennick has mentioned how he was enjoying the Larry Sanders show around this time, and that this inspired some of the hypocrisy and arrogance that we sometimes see from Adam. The shallow desperation to win a showbiz award was clear in this episode. The Larry Sanders show is superb, by the way. Check it out if you haven't already. It was really good to see Adam back. My feeling is that having a Klaus story running in parallel to an episode's main mystery is always good because it kind of adds variety and is generally a source for some really good comedy in the process. The single best line this week for me was when he said, talking of wrist action, when discussing Jonathan Ross, I thought the scene in which he was phoning around magician friends about the award ceremony was just brilliant acting by Stuart Milligan. Seeing him switch from fake sincerity to green-eyed rage like that was really impressive. His appearances in Series 3 have been fairly irregular, and luckily he's more prominent in the next run of episodes. Well, lucky if you like Adam Klaus, but if you don't, tough titties. The Celebration of Location Information Station We have one location to talk about from this week's episode, and it is the remote derelict cottage at Frog Hollow, where Geiger was shot and then Maddie was abducted by the fake copper. 
It's in a sheep field on the Castern Hall Estate near Dovedale on the Staffordshire-Derbyshire border, which, to be a bit less specific, is essentially bang in the middle of England. The estate, which is within the Peak District National Park, has an impressive big country house on it and totals around 183 acres in size. The estate includes a farming enterprise, or at least it certainly used to, and in 2014 this brought in an income of £10,007. It's near to the Manifold River, which I guess must be the one that burst its banks in the episode, and this is a tributary of the River Dove, or Dove as some people in the area apparently still call it. There doesn't appear to be a definitive answer as to the correct pronunciation, and therefore I will be conducting a deep dive investigation to get to the bottom of this. Keep your eyes and ears peeled. And before we move on, we've got breaking news here. Back in episode 5 of this podcast, The House of Monkeys, I admitted to having failed to find the location of the main house used in that episode. However, it's good news all round because I have managed to track it down. It's a house called The Vash, V-A-C-H-E, on The Vash Estate, near Chalfant St Giles in Buckinghamshire. On the estate, there's a monument dedicated to the memory of Captain James Cook, the explorer. And if you go onto the Wikipedia page for the estate, there's an interesting tale about a mass squatting incident just after the Second World War. Creek Connections At 43 minutes 55 seconds, we see that the card Jonathan throws at Derek Spratley is the Three of Clubs. Three of Clubs is the name of, in their own words, a friendly yet competitive badminton club based in the town of Wokingham, Berkshire. Wokingham is twinned with the German town of Erfstadt. Erfstadt's notable former residents include the journalist and revolutionary Karl Schurz, who emigrated to the USA in the 1840s and ended up fighting at the Battle of Gettysburg, where it's estimated up to 51,000 soldiers died. At the time of recording, a salary of £51,000 in the UK leaves you, after tax, with £37,793. 37793 is a postal code within the Spanish province of Salamanca. The new cathedral of Salamanca was constructed between the 16th and 18th centuries, but was badly damaged during the Lisbon earthquake of 1755, which occurred on the 1st of November, All Saints' Day. All Saints is a British four-piece girl group formed in 1993, whose members include Melanie Blatt, primarily a singer but also, on two separate occasions, an actress. The second film she appeared in was 2001's Dog Eat Dog, playing the role of Janie, the ex-girlfriend. Among the other non-starring roles in this film, was a character called Phil, performed by Alan Davies. You know, the, the guy who plays Jonathan Creek in Jonathan Creek. Another Creek connection next time.
eat, sleep, creak, repeat. The Three Gamblers aired on January the 2nd, 2000, and whilst this in and of itself was the most notable worldwide event on that day, believe it or not, there was actually some other stuff going on too. Cuba Gooding Jr. turned 32, rugby star Francois Pinar turned 35, and author Patrick O'Brien died at the age of 85. Among his books was 1933's Wang Can of the Elephants, which you have to be very careful to enunciate properly, otherwise people might hear something slightly different. It was the 19th anniversary of the arrest of Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. It was Carnival Day in St Kitts and Nevis, and Victory of Armed Forces Day in Cuba. That's all relatively interesting trivia, but more important than any of it is a discovery I made when scouring the internet for my favourite type of book, which is of course a short novella about warfare and atrocities. I was thankful and grateful to therefore get my hands on a copy of a work by an author whom obscure website sfbook.com has described as a very talented writer. It's a story about a company of soldiers deployed in Iraq in 2003 who get separated from their wider battalion and have a bit of a tricky time of it all. It contains a lot of army and warfare jargon references to stuff like Cobra gunships, regimental combat teams and BDU jackets, and for some reason the final chapter cuts to 15 years later when the main protagonist robs a petrol station with his prostitute lover. Yeah, I know. This is actually alluded to in the title of the book, which is the one and only reason I was attracted to it in the first place. It's called The Fall of Joe Wheeler and Joe Wheeler is also the name of Floyd and Karen's pal, who was ultimately gunned down by Caribbean anti-drug police in The Three Gamblers. Thankfully, I was able to get in touch with my robot bud and have him read out some of the choice quotes from this stunning tour de force, and as usual, these are presented without any real context. Is dyslexia a requirement for joining Air Wing, Sergeant? Wheeler smirked. Sure as hell hope not, Private. Harris frowned. So why is frog spelled P-H-R-O-G? So like you, Terry Taliban was simply taking pot shots, testing your marine metal. Sneaky sons of bitches, duly stated with dutiful bluster. Looks like we jumped the gun just to round up some woman and a mangy mutt. Wheeler gazed round the enemy compound. 11 o'clock just left of the corrugated shitter. Have you got shit in your ears, Sergeant? Cummings hollered. Get your men, we're still on search detail. After we search the dead we question the living until we find this motherfucker. That's our objective. You, Wheeler, are an insubordinate non-commissioned candy ass. He hadn't been bound or chained down. Even a six-year-old child with a muscle-wasting disease could easily have sat upright and pushed the dirt-laden sheet aside if so inclined. If God's justice did exist, then surely they had just taken an almighty leak on it. 
The young beauty dropped her bare feet into his lap. The toenails were painted emerald green and glistened in the sunlight. He clutched her ankle, relishing the feel of the baby's smooth skin. One moment he wanted to protect her, the next ravage every last piece of her. Plucking the hand dispenser from the pump, he admired how the strides of those sleek legs caused her pert rear to jiggle teasingly in the hot pants. Goddamn she's got it all. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Get Your Creek On, and indeed for being here for Series 3, which hereby comes to an end. Series 4 will appear in due course, starting with the Boxing Day 2001 special, Satan's Chimney. If you're listening week by week, there is going to be a bit of a break before then, so stay subscribed, and before you know it, the show will be back. If you're listening to this way in the future, well, just skip on to the next episode. It's there, waiting for you. Please do consider leaving the pod a review on your preferred podcast provider. It'll be A, a big help, and B, much appreciated. Contact the show by email, getyourcreekon at gmail.com, or by Twitter, the handle is at creekget. The website is getyourcreekon.co.uk. If there's anything about the show you think could be better, or if there's any ideas you have for things you might like to hear, then feel free to get in touch and let me know. Right, that's us done. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to Get Your Creek On, and I will catch you next time. I'm Toby. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Get Your Creek On. 